Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's March 30th. We've made it to Wednesday. I'm Nyla Boudou. Here's what we're following. U.S. COVID booster strategy takes a page from Choose Your Own Adventure. Plus, young women are out-earning men in more than 20 American cities. But first, today's one big thing, a reality check on Russia-Ukraine negotiations. After several hours of peace talks in Turkey, Russian officials said yesterday they would scale back military activity near Kyiv and to the north. Here with details of the negotiations so far is Axios' Zach Basu. Hey, Zach. Hi, Nyla. So Russia agreed to pull back from two different cities, but we should note their advances there had already been stalled. Where is Russia's military forces focusing on now? Right. So first off, I think it's really important to be skeptical of Russia's claims about military positioning. But with that being said, the U.S. has seen a small number of Russian forces start to pull back from Kyiv, where they had been stalled for weeks. The Pentagon believes it's a repositioning, not a real withdrawal. And the Russians themselves have said that the operation is entering a new phase focused on seizing territory in eastern Ukraine, in the region uh, known as the Donbass. Even before all this, the U.S. had seen indications that Russia was committing more energy and resources to fighting in the Donbass, although that is not to say the threat to Kyiv and these other cities across Ukraine has subsided. We, we really don't know that yet. What are we hearing from the Ukrainians right now about the, what they're proposing? So Ukraine has proposed a framework in which they would adopt a neutral status, meaning they can't join NATO or host Western troops on their territory in exchange for international security guarantees from countries like the U.S., the U.K., China, France, Germany, Israel, Turkey, and and a couple others. It would essentially be a similar collective defense agreement to NATO, where an attack on Ukraine is viewed as an attack on all these third-party guarantors. This was viewed positively by the Russians, but it's important to note that the officials who are negotiating are are low-level officials, and it still needs to be brought to to Putin and the Kremlin for uh, approval. But this was billed as, you know, the most significant progress of, of any of the talks to date. And just to be clear, why is this being billed as progress at this point? Namely because the two sides have uh, red lines that are so far apart. Up until now, we really haven't seen any movement. We've seen Russia continue to bombard Ukrainian cities. We've seen the Ukrainians continue to hold their red lines about not giving up any of their territory. So both sides acknowledging that there's progress is something new that we haven't seen so far in negotiations. Zach, what's Turkey's role here? Why are they the ones mediating these talks? Yeah, so Turkey occupies a really unique role in a lot of foreign policy issues. The president, Erdogan, has managed to play both sides pretty well. Turkey's been selling armed drones to Ukraine that have been really effective in taking out Russian forces. But at the same time, Erdogan has a strong personal relationship with Vladimir Putin, And he's sort of drifted away from the Western alliance over the past few years. So it's that ability to balance its relationships so well that has made Turkey the ideal mediator in many ways. 
There are others like India that have good relations with both Russia and Ukraine, but so far Turkey has found the most success. What happens next with negotiations? The Russian negotiators are going to take the proposals back to uh, the Kremlin and, and for Putin and the foreign minister to review, and they plan to meet over the next two weeks. And in the meantime, we're really watching to see if Russia is serious about this pullback near Kyiv. Access is Zach Basu. Thanks, Zach. Thanks for having me. In a moment, the latest from the FDA on COVID boosters for Americans over 50. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome back to Axios Today. I'm Nyla Boudou. The FDA just authorized a second round of boosters for Americans age 50 and older and those with immune deficiencies. The first round of boosters began in September of last year. Axios' Caitlin Owen says a second round of boosters indicates the U.S. has adopted a choose-your-own-adventure approach to protecting against COVID. Hey, Caitlin. Hey, Nyla. So I guess we should start with what do you mean by that, a choose-your-own-adventure approach to vaccines? Basically, what the FDA and the CDC did yesterday is they gave people the option to get another booster shot. Not all people, people who are 50 and older and then immunocompromised populations. They're saying if you want that additional level of protection, go for it, which is different than what we saw last time. It's just kind of reflective of where we are with the pandemic, right, where we all kind of choose our level of risk tolerance and then what precautionary measures we want to take to protect ourselves against the virus. So given that, what does the data or research say about the efficacy of adding another booster, especially if you were 50 or older, you are immunocompromised, and maybe you had a booster less than a year ago? The data we're looking at is mostly coming from Israel, which already went ahead and gave four shots to older people during the Omicron wave. And it looks like there is some benefit to that fourth shot, especially for people 60 or 65 or older. So while some experts are questioning extending the authorization all the way down to 50, in general, there is not much controversy over allowing Americans of 65 and older to get another booster shot. Basically, the bottom line here is this is a precautionary measure. If you want this extra level of protection, go ahead and get it. It can't hurt. It can only help. Do we know how long that protection is supposed to last? The short answer to your question is no. Uh, We know that effectiveness against infection wanes pretty quickly. You know, even if people have had three shots, over time, they're more likely to get a breakthrough case of COVID. That said, the vast majority of those cases are going to be mild. So the real question here is how fast waning against severe disease and death happens. And we don't have good data on that yet. The trick here is if you wait too long on data, then you risk allowing people to be under-vaccinated. And so I think that's what we're seeing the FDA and the CDC try to get ahead of here with the limited data that is available. Caitlin Owens covers healthcare for Axios. Thanks, Caitlin. Thanks, Nyla. 
Young women earn more than men in 22 U.S. cities, including Washington, D.C. and New York. That's according to new Pew Research analysis of census data from 2015 to 2019. I asked Axios Markets' Emily Peck for the details. So in New York, it's women making two cents extra on every dollar men make. In one town called Wenatchee, Washington, it's 120% of what men make. So that's a, like kind of a big gap, actually. In, in Los Angeles, there is no pay gap between men and women, young men and women, according to this Pew data. And that's good news. And right now, overall in the economy, women's wage growth is outpacing men's wage growth. So that's the positive news. The kind of like less exciting story is that Typically, young women, um, women under 30, are kind of on par with men when it comes to wages. That wage gap is more narrow. When everyone's starting out, you're more on an equal footing. The wage gap typically does widen out as women get older, basically for two reasons. One, a lot of women have children, and there's a wage penalty for motherhood in the United States. Fathers usually get a wage bump. The other reason is women are promoted more slowly, typically, than than men, research has found. Um, and that could relate back to the motherhood penalty, and that could also just be some straight-up discrimination. Men still out-earned women in the 228 other cities Pew studied. But as the U.S. labor shortage pushes up pay, women's wages have recently been rising faster than men. So we'll keep watching these trends. Thanks to Axios's Emily Pack for her reporting. One last note before we go today. We finally stand here today, generations later, to witness this historic moment of President Biden signing the Emmett Till anti-lynching bill into law. That's Michelle Duster at the White House yesterday. She's the great-granddaughter of the famous Black journalist Ida B. Wells. Wells was known for her investigative work documenting lynching. And in 1898, she asked President William McKinley to pass a law making lynching a federal crime. It took almost 200 attempts by Congress and 124 years for that to happen. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you back here tomorrow morning.